0: Let me pray for us as we get started Uh, god we thank you for your amazing love and grace Uh, we've been singing about that love this morning what you accomplished through jesus the life you've given to us invited us into and the hope that we have in you and for that we're grateful lord and uh, father we are trusting you uh, we are choosing to trust you as men and women, as students, as a church, especially in light of uh, these times that we're living in today and especially it has to do with the uh, COVID pandemic, Lord. Uh, we are asking and pleading for your healing uh, in our country and around the world and uh, for your healing in people's lives, for you know strength for those that are out working, especially our medical care workers right now. We are praying for your physical protection over our church, especially as we come together and uh, different ways to, to worship You, and uh, we're praying for an end of it all. Lord, uh, you, you are the God that raised Your Son, Jesus, from the dead. There is nothing too great for You, and so we are asking that You would bring victory over this disease once and for all, and that You'd bring healing to our world, and we pray that You would replace things like fear and anxiety with hope and with courage, that you'd give us wisdom for every day of our lives, Lord. Uh, we're, we're here for you, and we are grateful. We, we invite you. We acknowledge your presence here in this place today, and uh, we're asking that you lead and guide us now through this time, that you'd speak to us through your word. We are here for you. Our hearts are open to you. Uh, guide me in all that I do and say, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have seen the movie or maybe read the book Catch Me If You Can. Anybody recall that movie? Uh, Movie had Leonardo DiCaprio in it. I saw it a bunch of years ago, maybe you did too, but I read the book uh, over the past year. It's uh, It's based on the true story Uh, of a guy by the name of Frank Abagnale, and uh, he was a real-life professional fraud, con artist. Uh, He was really good at it. He started writing bad checks when he was 15 years old and uh, saw that he could make a lot of money, you know, doing it, and so he just kind of kept growing in it and doing it more and more and greater checks, but it didn't end there. Like, his ability to deceive people, deceive others, led him to spend many years as a so-called pilot and so-called doctor and a attorney, even a, a professor for a while. These are things that he wasn't trained in, but he figured out how to disguise himself and do the role, do the part, and they eventually arrested him for it. Evidently, it's somewhere in there that was all illegal, and uh, so he was arrested. He spent a number of years in prison. He's alive today and interestingly works, I think, for the FBI, if, I'm, if I've if i got the right bureau correct there, uh, that evidently this former phony has a way of spotting wannabe phonies as well, or at least he's convinced people uh, that he's got the ability to do that. But uh, I don't know about you, but I think we all probably have some moments in life where we wish we could be someone else, live someone's life for a certain day, maybe a job or a career that you always uh, hope to have, you know, we'd like to maybe do or something else. What we're gonna see today in Daniel's story that has a little bit to do with what I just shared with you is that your real identity is who you are when no one's watching because uh, it's one thing to be someone in public, but really who you are behind the scenes says a lot about who you are and what's important to you. All right. So open your Bible. If you've got a Bible with you today or go there with your smartphone to Daniel chapter six, uh, we're finishing up our study in the book of Daniel today. If you're new here with us, we've been reading through the Bible as a church family going all the way back to January. Just said, Hey, let's make it our goal. Let's read the Bible cover to cover this year. And so we're taking some time to talk about it on Sundays too. It's this year. Long initiative we call planted. All right. And for us, when we talk about planted, what we want to do is we want to make it our goal uh, to be people, to be followers of Jesus who are planted in God's word. I mean, even if you're uh, curious. even if you think of yourself as a spiritual seeker, like you could find value. there's value to be found in reading God's Word and to seeking to understand it and to know it for yourself. But Psalm 1 highlights the importance of spending time every day in the Word of God. We've talked about this first from Psalm chapter 1 verse 3, which says that person, all right, is like a tree. That person who is spending time alone with the Lord, spending time in God's Word, learning to pray each day, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Chances are, unless you've got a sprinkler system, that you've got a tree in your yard whose, which leaves are starting to, to turn a little bit. All right, If we don't get some rain soon, we're going to have a very early fall. Go down to the White River or something and see the trees that are planted deep along the river, and they're still bearing fruit because their roots go deep, right? That's where the water is. That's where the, the the nourishment is. And so that's been our hope and our prayer for the year is that we're all learning to spend time in God's Word, that we're learning to feed ourselves on God's Word so that we can know God, uh, so we can learn to depend on Him even more, and also gr- gain a greater understanding of what He wants to do, what He wants to accomplish through our lives. And so... If you've not been reading with us, this is a good time to jump in. Uh, If you fell off somewhere in the Old Testament, you know, life happened, this is a great time to jump back in with us, because guess what? Tuesday, we flip the page to the New Testament, all right? Somebody needs to give an amen out there, all right, because it's time for the New Testament. But Tuesday, August 24th, we start the New Testament, really just a new, fresh start. Uh, If you'd like to join in with us, if you'd like to finish out the year reading the Bible with us in the New Testament, we'd love to have you. And uh, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can download the Read Scripture app, just called Read Scripture, and uh, you can follow along. There's a daily reading plan. Just go to August 24th and jump in the New Testament with us. There are supplemental videos there as well, but we also have paper copies of the reading plan. They're back at the Info Hub, and so pick one of those up on the way out today. But again, this Tuesday, we start in the book of Matthew. We'll be talking about the New Testament next Sunday. Michael Amatusa is going to be sharing here from stage. We're starting with the New Testament, but not before we take one more week in Daniel, all right? Because we've had a few weeks with Daniel. We wrap up today, and I want to look at a passage with you today that you probably know something about. You might know a lot about. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, if I said, hey, is there anything you tell me about Daniel of the Bible, chances are you'd say lion's den. That's right. This is the lion's den guy. He's going to survive it. That's what we're looking at today. And so in case you're wondering, what could we possibly learn from a story I've heard a thousand times? Let's see if we can find out. All right, Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Here's what we read It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Now, over the last couple of weeks, and Jerry included, we've talked about the different Nebuchadnezzar's that ruled in Babylon. So, who's Darius? Well, in Daniel chapter 5, Darius becomes king of Babylon, which means that Daniel now, all right, in his time in Babylon, has lived through three Nebuchadnezzars, uh, including the one we talked about last week, Nabonidus. There was Belshazzar, who was a son to Nabonidus, and now we have Darius the Mede. And so Daniel, get this, has outlived at least four kings, which means that despite what you might have learned in your Sunday school class or seen on the flannel board, Daniel's not a teen anymore, right? He's not a young boy. Scholars think he's 80. To 85 years of age when he goes into the lion's den. But back to Darius for a second. If you read chapter 5, you saw how Belshazzar threw this great feast and some writing appeared on the wall. And when all the seers and the prophets of the kingdom couldn't interpret this message that had shown up on the wall, the king brought in Daniel, a Jew, to interpret it for him. Well, Belshazzar was so in awe by Daniel's ability to interpret the dream that he promoted uh, Daniel to be third in charge over the kingdom. But then he died that night. Like, can you imagine getting a promotion, all right? And then your boss dies and he never turned in the paperwork. And so, you know. Daniel's just got to live with it, but the next thing we know, Babylon is ruled by this Mede, a guy by the name of Darius, and the Medes were people who lived in Persia or modern-day Iran, and they came from an area known as Media, and this is how we get Darius, and he may or may not be also who we know from history as Cyrus, all right? There's some conflicting opinions over whether they're the same dude or not, but Darius steps into power, and let's just say he's rather impressed with the management team that's still in place, and so he keeps Daniel and others on the staff, again, back to verse 1 all right, so this is going to work out well with Daniel because like so many other occasions, there's just something about Daniel that stands out before the king. Like There's something about the way he conducted himself. Uh, there's something about the way he interacted with others, the way that he lived that got the king's attention. Can we just stop there and be reminded, Genesis Church, that this can happen when we as followers of Jesus live faithful and obedient lives here on this earth. And that doesn't mean that everything's always going to work out the way that we hope for or the way that we we plan, that there's not going to be challenges or a conflict. But I do believe that the more and more we commit ourselves to modeling our lives after Jesus Christ, the more others are going to take notice. Uh, legendary football coach, college football coach, Bobby Bowden died a couple of weeks ago. And not only was he known for his successful tenure as college football coach at Florida State University, but he was also known for his faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, he had just died. I think he had died on Saturday. I was preaching here and I was driving home on Sunday and they were doing some interviews on ESPN radio about Bobby Bowden that I was listening to. And they were interviewing former Florida Gator coach, Steve Spurrier, who was a longtime rival of Bobby Bowden, but also a very good friend to Bobby Bowden. And so they were interviewing Spurrier, and, and they asked him about Bowden's death. And Spurrier kind of chuckled, and he said, you know what, Bobby Bowden is doing just fine today. He says, Bobby Bowden was a Christian. Bobby Bowden is exactly where he wanted to be. Like He is, he is where he always hoped to be today. And as I listened to it, I just thought, yeah, that's really cool. I'm listening to ESPN radio, and here's Steve Spurrier saying this about Bobby Bowden, but Then something else came up, same interview, and a couple uh, of minutes later, the interviewer started asking, talking about Bobby Bowden's contributions beyond the football field, and he read some comments from uh, current Florida State University basketball coach, Leonard Hamilton, and he's African-American, and here's what Coach Hamilton had to say about Bobby Bowden. He said, Coach Bowden will always be known for his success on the football field. But I think he should also be remembered for his contributions to racial healing in the South. And here's what he said about him. He said, next to Martin Luther King Jr., no one has made a greater impact on racial healing in the South than Bobby Bowden. Can you imagine someone saying that about you and about your legacy and the way that you lived your life. Like, what a compliment, right? I mean, what's Bowden known for? Great football coach. Also faith in Jesus Christ and how his faith influenced the way he lived and loved and encouraged others. I'm sure he wasn't perfect, all right? I know there's some scandals around Florida State football, but what a tribute, you know? The way that he lived his life and how others will remember him. How might God want to use you? How might he want to use you right now where you work? and where you go to school you know your college campus your dorm Uh, the people that you live around, your neighbors, the people that that God has put you close to. Like, God used Daniel. Like, he used the early church in Acts chapter 2. We'll read about it over the next few weeks, you know, or in the next couple months. You know, the Bible says that the church enjoyed the favor of all the people, that even those who didn't believe in Jesus, like, they looked at the church, and there was something special. There was something intriguing about it. I'm reminded that when God's people are inconsistent, we look like hypocrites. But when we're faithful, Others take notice, you know, when God gets the glory, you know, when God's people, when we live, when we commit ourselves to live the ways that Jesus lived, like it gets people's attention. Don't underestimate what God wants to do through you. Uh, Don't underestimate what He wants to do where where you work right now and your school and through your life and through your kids how God can use your kids to bring glory to himself. God's working through Daniel. You know, King Darius promotes him, effectively making him second in command in all the land. So Daniel, get this, is this outsider living in this foreign land. He's put in charge over the whole kingdom, and that's not going to sit well uh, with Daniel's colleagues. Uh, Here's what we read, verse 4. It says, "'At this the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs,' but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so they look at Daniel's life and all they can do is see innocence, which means they've got to set a trap. So here's what they do. They go to the king and they ask the king to issue this decree that anyone who prays to any god you know, over the next 30 days must be thrown into the lion's den. And so the king agrees. I'm not sure it's necessarily out of pride. I mean, it might be. I don't, I don't know that Darius is trying to claim deity here, but think about this. He's taken over this new kingdom. He's put in charge of all of these cultures. And so he's trying to figure out a way of integrating them all somehow. So maybe this sounds like a good idea. These men convince him to put this decree decree in place, put it in writing so that it cannot be revoked. And if you remember the story of Esther, that's the little predicament they all got in, that the king issued the decree, it can't be revoked, it's got to be played out. And so that's a little bit of what's happening here. Well, their trap worked just as they hoped. Verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Look what he did. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. What did Daniel do? He kept doing what he'd been doing likely for every day for the past 70 years. He prayed three times a day. Like This is who Daniel was even when no one was watching and so if you've wondered at all, as you've read the story of Daniel, even as we think about his life and contribution today, like where did, where did Daniel find the strength? Where did Daniel find the courage? Where did he find the grace and, and the wisdom? When did he know, how did he know when to push? How did he know when to stand back or to stand down? Like how did he live faithfully and obediently in Babylon? What's the secret sauce for Daniel? It's not complicated, it's prayer. I mean, we are to see that it is Daniel's daily and consistent prayer. He prayed in the good times. He prayed when it was tough. He prayed when he needed wisdom. He prayed when he needed help. You don't make it 70-plus years in a hostile environment on determination alone. Prayer is what got Daniel through. And think about how prayer, and more importantly, His relationship with God empowered him to live, how it empowered him to thrive, how it empowered him to shine in Babylon, especially when you consider that nothing dramatically changed in Babylon over those 70 years. You get that? Like, there was no major revival in Babylon. As far as we can tell, there was no major spiritual renewal amongst the Jewish people in Babylon. Even when the door opened for the Jews to return back to Jerusalem, most didn't go. They got used to living in Babylon. And so what kept Daniel focused each day? What kept him going? You can say that Daniel was firmly planted in God's Word. Daniel was firmly planted in his relationship with the Lord. His roots went down deep, you know, into God, who was his strength. He found everything he needed in God, and that gave him what it needed to be faithful and obedient for him. Friends, you and I are going to spend the rest of the days of our lives living in this Babylon of ours. You're not going to make it without God. We are not gonna make it without God. We can, we can live, we can thrive, we can shine here for Jesus in this world if we will make the effort and firmly plant ourselves, discipline ourselves to spend time alone with the Lord. It's gonna take more than just Sundays. You know, it's gonna take that effort. It's gonna take that discipline of setting aside time every day to be alone with the Lord and reading his word and living out his word. And if we will learn to be consistent in prayer, Like God can do through you, you know, what He did in Daniel, because He wants to have, God wants to have a deep, abiding relationship with each and every one of us if we'll make time for Him. And if you do, it will change your life. It will change your life in so many great and amazing ways. It was so important to Daniel. And unfortunately for him, he got caught, you know, he got caught in his prayers and the king's court. I can just imagine they were giddy with anticipation. I'm sure as they were on their way to the palace, they were arguing over who gets to tell the king. And so they come before the king and they're like, you know, didn't you issue this decree that said that no one could pray to any God except you? And they knew he did, you know, but they're saying it anyways. And and didn't you say that anyone who disobeyed this decree, well, they had to be thrown into the lion's den and, and didn't you write it out so that it couldn't be repealed? Well, your majesty, we're just so sorry to tell you that your servant Daniel still prays to his God. And look at the king's reaction, verse 14. It says, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, if you read this story and you've thought it all, you know, it sounds a lot familiar to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story, you know, kind of different guys, friends, but kind of same scenario, the, the disobedience before the king, and, well, their stories are just so similar. Uh, in both cases, punishment awaited them, but, uh, and likely death, but, you know, two things, two things that I think make Daniel's story unique, just for fun. Number one, King Nebuchadnezzar was furious When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, but notice that King Darius was greatly distressed that Daniel was praying. And I think this was at least in part that Darius probably knew he'd been played, you know, that uh, these men set Daniel up. And so when he looks out over his management team, he realizes the only one here with integrity is, is Daniel. And, well, he's been caught up into this trap, and now he's going to be executed. But another thing that I think kind of makes this unique is that while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were punished for what happened in public, Daniel is being published for what happened in private. And what's the point there? Well, Daniel showed his integrity by doing the right thing even when no one else was watching, or at least so he thought. Verse 16, So so the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, "'May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you.'" And you probably know the rest of the story. And it's a great story, and I'm not going to go into a lot of the details of it, but Daniel spends the entire night in the pit with the lions. The Lord shuts their mouths and Daniel comes out the next morning unharmed. But again, in parallel to what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the men who were falsely accused Daniel are thrown into the same pit with the same lions to prove to everyone that it wasn't just the lions that they were not hungry that particular night, and these men and their families were killed too, and that's a tough story for another time. But the question I want to focus on before we close today is this. Why was Daniel saved? Why was Daniel spared in this moment? Well, there's a great phrase in his response to the king, and I think it's one that kind of foreshadows what we're gonna see now as we turn the pages into the New Testament, especially as we think about Jesus. Because after Daniel's night in the lion's den, the king comes in the morning, probably reluctantly, and yells down into the pit, "'Daniel, have you been saved?' And look at Daniel's reply. He said, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And that word innocent is a Hebrew word that is pronounced zaku. Uh, And this is the only place in the Bible where this word is used. And it means literally to be found pure in God's sight. Now, let's just take a moment and compare what happened here with what we heard about Daniel in chapter four, or excuse me, in verse four, just a moment ago. In that case, the administrators and the satraps, what did it say? We're trying to find a way to get Daniel in trouble, but they could find no corruption in him. And so in this case, it's though God is looking down at Daniel and declaring him innocent in this moment. And we can very easily look at these two situations and really think they're just talking about referring to the same thing, that Daniel was a good man who did a lot of good things. People liked him, so he was innocent. There was no corruption in him. Makes sense, right? But I want to ask you to think about it like this for a moment, and I want you to answer it honestly for yourself. Uh, Like when you look down deep into your heart, if you had to choose one or the other, would you rather please people around you or please God? Because we can, we can look to all the world, you know, like we're good. You can do enough good things. You can say the right things. You can um, kind of follow the trends of, of culture and the world today and maybe look like a good person. But deep down, we're just kind of living really selfishly and living for ourselves. Uh, Pastor Kyle Eidelman tells the story of a trigonometry teacher he had in high school, and every time she would give them a test, she would say something like this. She would say, today I'm giving you two tests. One's a math test, one's an integrity test. If you've got to fail one, fail the math one. You get the picture? It's one thing for people, you know, your family, your friends, your classmates, uh, your neighbors, to look at you and think, you know, that's a good person. But it's quite another thing for God to look down on you and declare you innocent. And there's a difference. You know, there's a difference. Remember, the Bible tells us that, that, that we see, humans see what's on the outside of people, but it's God who looks at our inside and says, you know, what's on the inside is what really matters. And if we're not careful, what I'm saying is that we can easily confuse the two. Like we can think that it's just about living a good life uh, or if I do enough good things or if I avoid enough bad things that when I get to the end of my life, God will look down at the sum of everything I've done and declare me innocent or declare me good. But here's the problem with that statement. How good is good enough? Like when it comes to life, do I just, do, do I have to get an A to please God, well, an, does an A minus matter at all, or does God even use minuses, or uh, you know, does a B minus get you through, or is life graded on a curve? Like when it comes down to it, it's just oh, I'm just better than that other person, and so that's all that really matters. Like, what's the answer? Like, how good do you have to be? And by the way, how unloving would it be if God had this secret grading scale that He never told any of us ever about, and so we just have to guess, we just have to hope that when we get to the end that we find out that we're good enough. There's bad news and there's good news. Here's the bad news. You and I will never be good enough on our own. You and I will never be good enough on our own. There, there there, There is nothing that you can do. There is nothing that I can do. Like, you can't possibly be good enough to earn God's approval or to earn your way into heaven. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We'll look at this later in October, but Uh, When Paul writes, for all have sinned, all of us, I have, you have, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. None of us is good enough on our own. Uh, We can't do enough good things to save ourselves. Even Daniel, who by the way, is one of the very few people we see in all of scripture that we don't really hear bad things about. But even Daniel sinned, like even Daniel fell short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's standard for living. You know, there, there are no exceptions, but thankfully, thankfully, this is where the good news of Jesus enters in because one verse later, Paul writes, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's right. This word justified here. All of us are justified by God's grace through the redemption that came to us through Jesus Christ, like Jesus Christ. Here's what that means. Jesus lived the life we could never live. Uh, he, it's through his sinless life. It's through his atoning work on, on, and death on the cross. It's through God's miraculous resurrection of Jesus on the third day that we can be saved, that we can be rescued, that we can be redeemed by the enormous grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus does for us, Like that's what Jesus does for you. When you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you make the decision, I'm gonna trust Jesus, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna surrender my life to Him. Like not only do you receive the wonderful and amazing grace uh, uh, or gift of God's forgiveness and eternal life, but here's something that we often overlook, and that is that you receive his righteousness you know, that, that, that everything that I am is, is taken out, you know, and, and as I'm forgiven, but I am given, you are given the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ, or as I heard someone once say this word justified, it's as if just as if I'd never sinned, all right? That's what Jesus does for us. Like, that's what Jesus does for you when you surrender your life to him, that it's just as if you had never sinned. That's what he accomplishes in our life. Nothing else can make you right with God. We can try. You know, we can try, and there's no problem with trying to be a good person. In fact, I think it's probably true that most people who set out to live a really good life and to do good things in life probably are happier, live longer, and have less stress than those who are unkind or angry, who are deceive, or, or have to spend a lot of time, you know, covering their tracks. But what I'm saying is this, like, don't count on your good deeds to save you. Like, you and I can't do it. We can't accomplish it on our own. Maybe you've heard of the, uh, the story of Ivan Sejedin. He was a race car driver from New Zealand. He loved driving fast, and not just on the racetrack either, also on the public roads, and he developed a little bit of a reputation. He didn't love wearing a seatbelt, so much so that he was pulled over and fined 32 times within five years for not wearing his seatbelt. So he decided one day that he had had enough. He was tired of it, but he wasn't going to wear a seatbelt either. And so he tried to fool the police. And so he designed this trick seatbelt. And it basically was just a strap that would uh, lay over his chest so it kind of looked like he was wearing a seatbelt. And it worked out for a while until he had a head-on collision, hit the steering wheel, and was killed. Here's the point. What is fake won't save you you and I can't accomplish it on our own. There's not enough good. Like we can't do enough good things in our life. Like doing more good things than bad things is not going to save you. Going to church to try and earn favor with God won't save you. Giving money to causes you care about or believe in is not going to save you. Only Jesus will. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Jesus is the only one that can redirect your course. He is the only one that can give life. He is the only one who can forgive. He is the only one that can establish, you know, eternity for us. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's talking about Jesus, but he's talking about God too. And isn't that amazing that it wasn't like Jesus just had to step in before this angry God and say, somebody's got to make this right. No, it was God who determined to send his own son, Christ, on our behalf to live and to give his life so that in him, so that through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can become the righteousness of God. Friends, here's what's true. And what every single one of us has to come to terms with, it is that at the end of your life, which you and I, we don't know if that's today, tomorrow, or when that will be, but every single one of us, one day, will stand before God, and we are going to be judged for how we responded to this wonderful news about Jesus. And here's a really cool thing. If you've trusted Christ with your life, if you have put your hope in him and received his forgiveness, his salvation, and in his righteousness, you got nothing to be afraid of. No fear. Because when you stand before God one day, you won't stand there on your own. Jesus will be right there with you. And in fact, when God sees you, what he's really going to see is Jesus in you. He's gonna see Jesus' righteousness, the powerful work of Jesus in your life. And we will spend the rest of eternity with God, with Jesus in heaven. But you need to know this, that when that day comes, if you've never trusted Christ with your life, whether you willingly rejected it, put it off one more day, or for one more moment, or just said that's something that I'll figure out at a later time, you won't get another chance after you pass or when Jesus returns, because as great as his invitation is, and that it is available to all people, God, in all of his love, he is not going to force his love on you or force his love on anyone. And for those who rejected Jesus, the Bible reminds us that those who reject Christ will face an eternal separation from God in hell. But that doesn't have to be your destination. That doesn't have to be anyone's destination. All right? Because God made a way through Jesus Christ. And if you're alive and breathing, And if you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, like today can be your day. Today, August 22nd, 11.35 a.m., we're running a few minutes over. Today can be the day. We ran over because today might be the day that someone in this room surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. And I'm crazy enough to believe that it's a big part of why somebody might be here today. And maybe this message is for you. And so we're going to pray now. And if you want your eternity to be secure in Lord, um, I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's just pray together right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, to be your salvation, your forgiveness, today can be the day. And I'd invite you to pray with me right now wherever you're seated. You can pray quietly to yourself. You can pray out loud if you prefer. But maybe prayer prayer that looks like this. Jesus, I need you in my life. I am surrendering mine to you today. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Give me hope. Show me what it means to follow you. I belong to you today. And Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and for your work in this room right now, in every life, and any person today who might be praying that prayer and maybe they'd acknowledge that they missed some of those words and they're coming up with some words of their own right now, I pray that you'd give them the confidence to know it doesn't matter. All that matters in this moment is their heart and their surrender to you, receiving you, Lord, as our Savior, as our hope, as our salvation. Thank you. And if you prayed that prayer today, we just invite you to come up afterwards. I'd love to talk with you and just help you in thinking about next steps. Maybe a friend invited you today and you can kind of share a little of what's going on in your heart and life with them. They'd love to talk with you about next steps. Let me just pray for the rest of us. Father, we thank you for Jesus and what he accomplished for us and that through Jesus, we have life, that through Jesus, we have righteousness, that through Jesus, we can be planted as people with deep roots connected to you, Lord, and that, God, you'd give us strength to live as Daniel did, you'd give us strength to live as Jesus lived, and to love the people that you've called us to while being faithful and obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us?